Florida Basketball Podcast is brought to you by the Gatorverse, an exclusive community dedicated to connecting University of Florida fans and student-athletes. Members receive access to exclusive autograph collectibles, real-life experiences, giveaways, VIP events, rewards, and athletes receive a majority of revenue from sales of their collectibles. That's the way that NIL is supposed to work. To find out more about becoming a Gatorverse member and Locker Mania, visit Gatorverse.io. That's G-A-T-A-V-E-R-S-E dot I-O. Hello and welcome to Florida Basketball Hour. I am Neil Blackman, Saturday Down South. On this episode, Eric Fawcett and I, GatorCountry.com, are going to break down a... uh, a pretty humbling loss for Florida. Um, the Gators fall on the road at Ole Miss. Um, one of the four most lopsided losses this century for Florida in an SEC game. Gators drop um, 103.85 to Ole Miss. So um, not not a good performance by Florida. They're going to have to flush it quick because the SEC is a brutal league and conference play is not terribly forgiving. Uh, so, um, you know, Arkansas, who is also desperate at 0-2 in the league, coming to town, I, you know, it's it's early to say that things are must-win for Florida. Uh, this one kind of feels like it. It feels like if Florida can't get a win in what looks like it's going to be a sold-out Odom, um, you know, they'll, they'll be 0-3. Uh, an 0-3 team has not gotten a top four seed in the SEC tournament um, since they've gone to the two double by format. So that's the first thing. Um, there have been two 0-3 teams in SEC play that have made the NCAA tournament in the last 10 years. Uh, but that's it, just twice that it's happened. Um, so I think Florida really in a must-win position uh, as they play Arkansas. Florida is um, – Florida has uh, lost their last uh, game to Arkansas in the Odom in 2022, but had won the 14 prior to that. We will get in to the Arkansas games. I welcome in Eric. Um, yeah, I mean, just just a brutal performance by the Gators, and especially in the second half where Florida had zero clue defensively. Yeah, it's it's kind of one of those those games as well that it obviously was like close in the first half, but I felt like the, the Gators were like really withstanding a bunch of, of heavy, heavy blows from, from Ole Miss in a way that was um, on one hand, like very admirable. And you're like, wow, the Gators can really like, they're still fighting. Um, they're, they're withstanding these blows. They're, 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 they're hitting back sign pulling and, and Walter Clayton are, are, are making shots to keep the Gators in it. And um, while it was admirable, it was also one of those situations where you're like, I, I don't, I don't know if this is going to continue. And to uh, on, on the other side of things, you were seeing some of the shots that it just seemed like every, every decent or, you know, good or decent look that Ole Miss generated, they were hitting. So, you know, you're, you're, you're thinking, okay, like there, there's a chance they're cool. They'll, they'll cool off. But at the same time, it's like they're hitting some tough shots, but they're creating a lot of good ones and just, uh, just not missing open ones. So you're like, maybe that's not going to continue. But at the same time, it's like, wow, it seems like a miracle. This game's only four points at half. And uh, you know, the Gators just, I, I don't want to use the term ran out of steam because again, it's like energy doesn't seem to be a problem with this team, but I'll just say ran out of steam in the sense that they, they seem to be doing everything possible to keep that game within four and half. And then um, Ole Miss was able to keep that momentum, perhaps even take it to another level. And uh, the Gators um, were not, um, you mentioned the defense. That's where the Gators um, were uh, struggling, particularly. I, I don't know what it ended up because I know eventually the walk-ons came in for, for Ole Miss, but um, I think it was like 19 with, with like two minutes left in the second half. Ole Miss was shooting 75% from the field um, in the second half. I don't know what the points per possession were, but I'm sure it was a thousand. So like um, oh. just a remarkable um, offensive performance um, though, you know, certainly aided by a Florida defense that I thought was, uh, was just poor in a number of areas. Yeah. I mean, so it, it is, and it is hard to know 
like I think it's certainly a combination of both. Like you mentioned the first half, and that's why like I find this number useful in the first half. Florida's ball screen defense, 1.21 points per possession against. I mean, just absolutely atrocious. Um, and I had a lot of people, I tweeted something like, it can't get much worse. And then I had a lot of people that like kind of snarkily were like, oh, it got worse. <laughs> and um, I didn't look at the second half number um, in terms of what Florida was giving up in their ball screen defense. Uh, but I do know that that's been a problem. At least three of Florida's losses has been either how they defended ball screens or whether they've adjusted. And in one of Florida's wins, right, in the Michigan game where Florida – was getting annihilated uh, off ball screens for much of the game. Um, so, I'm, you know, I think one curiosity is like, will Florida adjust? Because last year, certainly Florida made some defensive adjustments and got much better as a defensive team. And I remember we had podcasts where we were talking about like, hey, this Florida team has a decent shot to finish top 15 in defensive efficiency. And then they were kind of trending that way. And then Castleton got hurt. Um, this Florida team, is now trending in, an, in the entirely wrong way defensively. They're now down to 83rd, which is a season low um, in terms of where they were from a deficiency efficiency standpoint, a defensive efficiency standpoint. And um, obviously that results in this nine point nine spot crater uh, that they fell in Kimpom overall. Um, but yeah, I mean, Florida's got to clean up things defensively. And one big question in terms of that beyond just like, is it scheme ball, ball screen wise? is obviously Riley Kugel playing four minutes and like his value as a defender all season markedly uh, notice noticeable the other night as Florida struggled to contain quick guards. Um, I, I have a lot of uh, thoughts on the defense, so I'm sure I had a lot there, in there. But yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But, but I think it is um, very fair to start with Riley Kugel, one of the highest compensated NIL players in the country and someone who was, Right. Um, a huge story when he came back and someone who um, played, you know, for playing four minutes in a game that you're playing a, a opponent that before the season is not expected to be an NCAA tournament team. I don't know if you've changed your thoughts on Ole Miss after seeing them. Um, I don't know, like look pretty good at home. Yeah. Look pretty good against the Gators. Um, but yeah, that, that just has to be a, a story. I mean, he was over three on the offensive end. Another situation where I thought he took a couple of good shots and he missed those, and it's like those are the real heartbreakers. You know he's going to take some some tough ones. Um, that's the style of player he is. But it's as as I mentioned in a previous podcast, it's it's one of those things where the, the problem with him right now is last year he was hitting forty percent of his open catch and shoot threes. Um, I I haven't looked since I wrote the article, but it, he's he's got to be under twenty percent now after these last couple of games. I guess maybe he propped it up in the two games ago, but anyways. Um, and, and again, it's, it's, it's one of those things where like, look, I don't want to get into the, like, I think that Riley Kugel is a tremendous defender or sorry, I shouldn't say that. I think he's a good defender. I don't think he's a tremendous defender to the point of like, like, I know there was a lot of, um, Oh, like how can you just go out there and get shellacked defensively with, you know, this amazing defender off the right. floor. And like, you know, I think he's, I think he's good. He's very good. Um, I, I don't think he's that great, but I think it says one of two things. It's like if 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 that like and and hey, people have jokes at at your expense all the time, Neil, about Niles Lane and how you were like, well, like why? How can Niles Lane not be out there when the Gators last year? And it's like one of those things where it's like that's not a, even as much a comment about Niles Lane. It's a comment about like how bad things are on the floor. And right. I feel like it's almost the same story this year, where it's not like it's it's not a situation where it's like. Oh, this guy's uh, absolutely amazing. How could you not use him? It's like, oh, this guy's pretty good, and things are so bad on the floor that you're that people are screaming for a just a pretty good defender, so that the Gators maybe don't give up 103, they give up 100. You know what I mean? Like that's it's like crying out for him is 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 just it, it, it's it, it's certainly more to say about just the whole product on the floor than I think it is the the individual Riley Kugel storyline. Though it's not to say that. Kugel only playing four minutes is not a massive storyline. Like that's, I, I, I forget who first said it and I wish they, I could give them credit. It might've even been on the Gator country boards, but here's a name you haven't thought about in years, Neil, and someone that a lot of listeners haven't thought about in years and are going to shudder when they hear it. But Jalen Hudson, 
Um, Jalen Hudson was someone who put up really good numbers as a tough shot maker on a Florida team that that wasn't very good. And then he came back for another year, albeit at a much older age than Riley Kugel, and um, became unplayable and, and couldn't make shots. And yeah. someone was like, hey, this is like an early Jalen Hudson storyline playing out. And I shuddered. And then I was like, well, like, hopefully not, but 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 we'll see. And it's one of those, but it is it is one of those things with a Jalen Hudson. You certainly thought like like that was a guy who was putting up such dreadful scoring numbers. And in his second year, I thought he was tremendous in his first year, of Florida, to be clear. Loved to love the guy. Um, but the problem with him was that he was so so poor defensively. If he wasn't making shots, he was for sure negative. Whereas I think a lot of people were like, hey, get Riley out there tell him to shoot a little bit less and at least he's going to help you. But yeah, it's uh, yeah. For, for that guy to be playing four minutes. Um, I don't have the direct quote in front of me, but golden said afterwards, something along the lines of like, well, cool. Just didn't have it tonight. And decided to go another way. Like that is a, uh, that is pretty concerning. And I'm also curious, Neil, while you have a lot to comment on why Riley Kugel, I'm curious what you thought when you heard um, Todd golden say that, that um, Riley Kugel didn't have it. And um you know, if, if you, where, where you fall when you, when you hear a comment like that. Well, yeah, it was, and I would add that Lee Humphrey on the radio broadcast, either Lee or Sean um, said, you know, that there was a, a halftime comment that he was tentative and deferential. And so that one made less sense to me than he didn't have it tonight, to be honest. I mean, it seemed like he took two open shots and then didn't force anything. And then he had like one layup where he did what he does and it's frustrating. And then you remember he's a sophomore, right? Like he didn't go straight up. He went for a reverse and he got blocked. Mm. Um, but in fairness to him, like how many times do you coach players like to try the reverse if they have it in their game when there's really good rim protectors, right? Like, so to some extent, I had no problem with that. No problem. Yeah. With that. Like to some extent, like he's sort of doing something that's basketball smart. Like, I understand that in that situation, like you and I watching on TV could be like, it looks like he could have just gone straight up and made it. But I mean, I don't want to be overly harsh on him for that. Like I sent a tweet and kind of immediately regretted it. Cause I was like, Oh, you know, like we coach kids to do that. Um, so I didn't think he was tentative at all. I didn't think he was improperly deferential at all. And, you know, didn't have it tonight is, is strange. I don't know if it's a body language thing, which, you know, I don't, I don't like that discussion that much. Um, yeah, I mean, I I didn't get it to be to be quite honest, and I don't I don't think there's a world right now, and it's not a fault on again. This is not about Denzel Aberdeen. Like, it doesn't mean that he's not working hard and practicing well and getting better. And um, I think he's doing all those things. But uh, yeah, I mean, like Denzel Aberdeen playing more minutes than Riley Kugel is not something that this Florida team really can have in SEC play. Yeah, and I mean that's the other the other thing, and and uh, I guess time will tell. But uh, with a player like that, what's uh, what's the, what's the move for a player's confidence like that? Like, on one hand, um, not playing in a team in a game your team's getting blown out in uh, against not one of the projected better teams in your league, like that can be bad for your confidence. It can also be bad to be out on the floor getting hammered and missing shots. Um, so was his confidence trying to be protected that way? I, I, it's, it's tough to know. I know there's a lot of, uh, armchair psychologists that are, that are breaking down <laughs> Riley Kugel in a lot of ways. Um, I try not to be, to be one of them because what do I know? But, uh, yeah, it's, I, I'm just curious if that was like maybe an attempt to say like, well, we know we're going to need this guy because, um, that's, that's, that's just another thing that, that struck me um was like florida looked like like i don't like this certainly wasn't like last year's team or mike white's last team where you're just like oh man the gators look like a conference usa team in terms of size and athleticism like the gators have length we know that but like Ole miss looked like they had you know dudes like they had it looked like they had more length on the wings it looked like they were stronger you watch J Jamin Brakefield do whatever he wanted with the Gators all night inside and out off the drive, off the catch inside, um, you know, Matthew Morrell, powerful drives through him. You're, you're like, Oh man, like it's, 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 it's a concern because like here you have Chris Beard who, who knew exact, like I mentioned on the show prior, 
I, I don't like love any of their players, except I might love J Jamin Brakefield, to be honest. I think we just saw the greatest game he's ever played. Um, I thought he was a good player. That was yeah outstanding. Um, but like, I thought he had a lot of good players. And now that I see them against the Gators, I'm like, that is a guy who knows exactly what it takes to win in the SEC. And he and every single one of his players um, like fits the mold of what you need. Even a guy like me who would have said, oh, Jamie on Sharp, or Jamarian Sharp, sorry. There's a guy that's not, like that guy's not built to, to win in the SEC. I, I probably said as much on this podcast when the Gators contacted him in the portal. Um, well, it looks like he can contribute to win in, in the SEC. So um, yeah, I just thought this was one of those games too, where like, and again, I, I, it's, it's so hard to, um, it's so hard to talk about just the basketball side of, of Chris Beard and not the off the court, but it's like, well, on the court, this is a guy that knows exactly what it takes to win in the sec from the way that he built his team to the way they played, the way that they attack matchups. Yep. Um, he, he knows how to win in the sec. And uh, it, it made me think again, it's, I guess we're this, this whole thing started, my whole rant started with Riley Kugel. Um, <laughs> the Gators, it, it, it does appear like the Gators need every bit of athleticism and explosiveness yeah. on the floor. So before I would have even thought, oh, you know, like obviously like Riley Kugel is, you know, if, like, even a couple weeks ago or when Riley Kugel's skid kind of started, it was like, okay, like I think he can take a little bit of a step back and roll. And that's probably going to, like, that could be what's best for the Gators. The Gators could still be really good if he's a microwave guy off the bench. Um, well, at, at some point, I think he is going to have to figure it out um, for, for the Gators to, to get where they, they need to go. And I think we just saw the perfect <laughs> example of why. Yeah, no, I mean, I couldn't agree more with that. And you know what I think is is strange? And, and again, Florida was in this situation to some extent last year. Um, remember the game in early February, like Alex Fudge coming back off the concussion doesn't play much at Alabama. And so the only players that Florida had on the floor that looked like they belonged on the floor with Alabama mm. were Google and Castleton, right? Like everyone else just looked totally overwhelmed. Um, You know, it was, it was Kyle Lofton's worst game of the whole season. Um, Will Richard played okay, I guess, but still look kind of slowish uh, against Alabama, which can happen. Um, but it was like Castleton and Kugel certainly looked like they could hang out there. Um, and I don't think that that – I got that feeling too, you know. And I get – like Aberdeen is certainly an upgrade athletically, um, not from Kugel but from like most of Florida's guards last year. Uh, so it's okay, but I still think you have to have Riley on the floor over like a Denzel Aberdeen. To your point on Chris Beard – um, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to address it because I got some pushback on like sending a tweet where I just said, you know, Chris Beard sure is a good basketball coach with a thumbs up, you know, <laughs> like, and some people were like, I don't know what this tweet means. And I was like, well, I think it's pretty self-evident. Mm. And they said, Hey, that's childish after Florida gets its ass kicked. And I kind of thought, well, I guess it would be if I hadn't been harping on it since like the first podcast of the season. Like, so again, you know, I, I think, uh, Eric and I have been pretty clear, like whether or not Chris Beard should be coaching is a separate discussion from whether or not he's an excellent basketball coach. Um, he's one of the best coaches in the country. It was a coup for Ole Miss. Um, and you can see why they might've sacrificed, at least I think they sacrificed a little bit of integrity and uh, stuff to, to, to put a winning product on the floor. Um, I get it. You know, that's what they've done. That's the choice they made, and right now it's paying off for him. Certainly, outcoached um, Todd Golden the other the other night. And you know what was worse about it was, like, again, so Florida's had maybe three games against coaches I consider elite coaches this season, and in each of them, like Florida has just been annihilated out of the second half. Um, actually, they've had four games against coaches I think are elite coaches because I I don't want to exclude John Calipari. So I would say in three of those four games, um, Florida has been annihilated out of the half. They lost the first four minutes of the um, first half to Virginia by seven. That's how they ended up getting down by double digits, which they clawed all the way back from and then lost. Um, they 
went even Steven with Baylor out of the break in that first media segment. They lost the media segment to Kentucky by eight and they lost to Ole Miss by 10. So um, halftime adjustments uh, often kind of a criticism of Mike White and his staff uh, going pretty poorly under Todd Golden whenever Florida plays coaches who, who are considered a, among the elite in the industry. Um, I just want to go back, like a comment that you made on the last podcast that like is still like living with me. And I honestly think could be like the best point you've ever made on the podcast that I hadn't considered Thank you. was the fact that um, I forget the exact um, words you use. I was about to try to quote you, but if I said it wrong, it was maybe a word we shouldn't say on the podcast. But the fact that Ole Miss is like, like there was two outcomes, either it goes really poorly and they look awful for hiring Chris Beard or it goes well and he's gone in a year. So yeah. the fact that Ole Miss was ready to put themselves in that position is even like, yeah, it just feels even even worse in, in, in a way. So, so like, say, say they make the NCAA tournament this year as a seventh seed, which would be a, a huge, like that would be incredible relative to projections to turn things around that quickly. Um, well, like, you know, Chris Beard could be talked about for a, a host of the big jobs that are going to be open this offseason. So anyways, I just wanted to, I just thought that was some of the brightest uh, – analysis this podcast has ever seen before I go and Thank say you. something. So now I'll say something um, foolish, but um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's uh, a situation where again, this, this is my overreaction, small sample size theater, but maybe not reaction to the Ole Miss game and particularly the second half. So, and again, this is an overarching view of, of Florida basketball. And that's why I do think it is, it is notable. So pretty early in the offseason, um, Golden made it known. You could even say you could even say earlier, like last year, he just um, wasn't able to get the players for, for a number of reasons, but that that he wanted to play two bigs. Um, that was something he wanted to the first year, wasn't able to do it, was able to do it this 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 year. Um, it was a focus from the offseason. They went in this year. Um, they only recruited like one, you know true power forward i would say in, in ej jarvis he's obviously not here um but it seemed whatever florida always wanted to play two bigs even before ej jarvis was um left the program it was like well he's you know we're starting two bigs and two centers so it's always been two centers two centers two centers um i my thought was always well how is this going to look in in sec play how is it going to look defensively um I didn't think it was the case against Kentucky who wasn't really built to take advantage of it. This was the first game where a team concentrated, went at whoever Florida had at the quote unquote power forward spot every single time. And I mentioned yeah, earlier that this point. was a, a Jamin Breakfield legacy game. It was like empty <laughs> him out on his side, reverse and uh, reverse the ball to him, let him stampede a catch against the center on the perimeter. Really tough spot to put Micah Hanlockton in. And Jamin Breakfield had some easy ones. Um, putting there was a situation a couple of times in the first half where Tyree Samuel was guarding Jamin Breakfield. What did they do? They ran Jamin Breakfield off staggers. Has Tyree Samuel ever guarded a stagger in his life? Like maybe not. And it went horribly. There was also some situations where um, they they got a wide open shot. It missed. Um, in those situations, there was a time where like there was like a really ugly switch, um, desperation at the last moment, but it like kind of worked because I don't think that Jamin Breakfield realized how open it was. So like that went horribly. And again, I'm not even, I'm, I say that not to even, I do think Tyree Samuel could have guarded these better, but also it's like, okay, now you're, this is the first team to say, Oh, Tyree Samuel's at the four. Let's run him off pin downs. Let's run him off staggers. He's never done that before. So I just thought every single action was, was geared towards putting Jamin Breakfield, um, especially when, when he was on the floor, putting him into situations um, to attack downhill against Forrest. They also were attacking Micah Hanlocked in on the inside. There was one play where like, like Musa Cisse, who is, again, he, I, I, he's a great player. He knows exactly his role. Um, right. And I really respect him. He is not a great offensive player. And he would right. tell you the same, he would tell you the same thing. He just sat on, uh, you know, he sat on the block and then just took one wide step to step around Micah Hanlockton and seal him. He caught it and hit a 1.5 foot hook shot. So 
and, and again, it was just one of those things that we've talked about. Like Florida is long in the front court. They're not physically strong. They're not stout. And uh, to see, to see, oh, Jamin Breakfield, even again, like there was times where he hit the, you know, way overused and should be retired to small taunt because he was just like crab dribble, crab dribble, knock Micah Hanlocked and under the rim and finish. And that's why I think we also saw a little bit more Alex Condon, which is a storyline that continues. Um, Alan Flanagan, when he was at the four, whew, uh, that was another big mismatch that they went to every single time and getting downhill, 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 because again, they were the first team to say, hey, Florida's going to put two bigs on the floor. We're going to spread them out. We're going to attack with our wings against these fours downhill. And then it's like, well, they're big, but they're not actually like stout. So now let's just get Musa Cisse to duck in against Micah Hanlock to get the easiest basket of his life. Like, so that was my, like, we can talk about, hey, this was maybe an off night for the Gators. Ole Miss hit everything. It, it happens. Ole Miss is on, on, at home. It happens. The one thing that I think is very legitimate from this game that needs to be considered and talked about is the fact that Ole Miss completely, um, like they were the first team the Gators have played to finally say, hey, the Gators have this weakness. Um, we need yeah. to exploit it over and over and over and over again. And it, it really could not have, have gone better. So I'm just curious. Like, I'm not at the point where I'm like, see, Ole Miss beat them by attacking this. Therefore, two bigs is like, I'm not ready. I'm not ready to say this is not a style to win yet, but it certainly showed showed cracks. So I'm just curious yeah. what, uh, if, what you thought about that and how this affects maybe your idea of Florida playing two bigs. I'll also just say my last thing is like, I don't really know what Florida's other options are. Go back. It's it's go back to Will Richard at the four. Yeah. I guess you could say more Thomas Houck at the four, which some might remember on the Wendy's Winter Sportsbook show. Um, I mentioned that I thought that uh, down the stretch of the season it was going to be Thomas Houck at the yeah. four, and this was uh, perhaps the exact reason. But uh, so so that would be your options. But again, I wouldn't say that like those are great options necessarily. But yeah, I just I, I do think like. We could we could chalk up a lot of things to an off night for the Gators. Um, the uh, spotlighting the the issues playing two bigs um, that that is something I do think is you know quote unquote legit. Sure. No. So um, on that, you know, and you'll remember one thing I said, or, or maybe you won't. But <laughs> one thing I said on the last podcast was Chris Beard. I think is one of the mm. best, if not the best, coach in the country at identifying weaknesses and just repeatedly attacking them over and over and over. Um, I mean, even if you think back to like the game against Florida and the NCAA tournament, right? Like, and once Chris Chioza got fouled too, like Chioza, an excellent positional defender, smart basketball player, as smart a player as there's been at Florida in a long time, right? Like all they did was go at Chris Chioza until that third foul was called. Um and all they did was go at Igor Kulichov wherever he mm -hmm. was defensively on the floor. And it was just over. I mean, Igor Kulichov, attacking Igor Kulichov, especially when Kavarius Hayes was weak side of him, was like the entire plan that they had against Florida. And it, it was just enough to win what was functionally a home game in the NCAA tournament against what I thought was a really good Gator team um, when they played well. They were ex especially good. Um so, and again, I mean, you can say whatever you want about the fouls called on Chioza or whatever, but it was, it was still exactly what you'd want to do tactically. And like Chris Beard did that. Now, of course, the blueprint's now been laid. And another team that's really good at that, by the way, is Arkansas. We'll get to that. Um, but that's like, what's the go-to of Muss at Nevada and at Arkansas? It's finding your weakness, running the same two or three sets over and over and just using that to attack a weakness. They don't, you know, we've made fun of their, the diversity of their offense, diversity mm -hmm. in air quotes, um, but that's kind of what they do. So that's my thought on that. And I do think you're right. Like, and especially if you're going to play, if you're not going to play Riley Kugel, then I'm not sure what in the world the solution is. Now, Alex Condon, maybe I would consider him to be kind of the bright spot the other night. Um, 10 offensive rebounds was the most for a Florida player of this century. I'm tying Joe Kim Noah. And then like, uh, you know, even though he had some tough moments defensively, like he clearly was the guy out there that was okay. Like he's the improvement I saw was his ability to sort of embrace the physicality that was necessary in that game. When I think Micah Hanlockton was nowhere near being capable of doing that. 
And I really think a lot of things that happened in this game got to Tyrese Samuel's head, which don't usually happen, but there were plays that Tyrese made that weren't very smart that he hasn't made all year, whether he's pressing or whether defending a stagger had him very confused or just whatever it was, obviously another tough night from him. So I'm not sure what Florida's going to do. I think given what their DNA seems to be, which is let's get a lot of offensive rebounds and that makes us a little more efficient offensively. They, they kind of have to stick with the two bigs. Um, I don't, I don't think playing smaller really hurts them from a guard standpoint. Um, their guards have been excellent in SEC play. So I don't know. I don't know if it makes it easier to defend their guards really maybe a little bit, but um, I think Zion and Walt just kind of create problems for defenses. But I think, yeah, I mean, this is, this is concerning because the blueprint is now out. Like the book on what to do against Florida is out. You better compete on and limit their offensive rebounds a little bit. And then, you know, you need to make at some point you have to kind of force their bigs to score, which Ole Miss also did. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, let's attack the four and mismatches. I mean, that's that's a pretty good plan, Eric. Like the one the one stats that I or w- one of the stats that I think is um, super concerning for Florida is what is something we've um, what is something we have said over and over again um, about this Florida team. Um, uh, okay. Well, you know, their, their offensive execution isn't great. Um, however, um, they have a high floor. This is an exact sentence I've said a hundred yeah. times on this podcast. They have a high floor because of their offensive rebounding. They had a 52% offensive rebound rate against Ole Miss. Like they had 26 offensive rebounds and had, and grabbed 52% of their misses. Yeah. While, while Ole Miss had, a 48% defense we were like the, the Gators absolutely hammered. I think this, I, I'd have to look, this could have been Florida's highest offensive rebounding game of the entire season. And they still got blown out, blown out. Like that's like, that's one of the things that's like, and, and again, like I, I do think that that adds to like, if you're trying to chalk up the, like this game was just like nuts. Things just went so well for, for, for Ole Miss. It's like, like that is insane to get out rebounded the way that Ole Miss did and to blow a team out. Like, again, I might like go talk to Bart Torvik and say like, Hey, is there ever like how many blowouts is, have there been at the high major level when one team has a 52% offensive rebound rate and lost? Like it could be a very long time since that has happened. Uh, maybe it happens more than I think, but like even so, so even like our thought that Florida was just going to go. And, and I will say our thought, I'll, I, I had the thought, I thought like even when the Gators had off nights against teams like Ole Miss on the road, oh, they're probably going to be two or three possession games because yeah. the Gators yep. are going to get they are going to get twenty six offensive rebounds and and maybe close to fifty two percent of their of their uh, of their misses and and it'll just give them a chance to stay in games. Like it is absurd that the that the Gators had that many offensive rebounds and still got still got blown out. So like we also like I I, I maybe that narrative died that that day that that Florida does have a high floor because of their offensive rebound yeah. because like e- even again if we went even before this game and said oh Florida has fifty two percent of their their misses they had, they had twenty six offensive rebounds and so, you know they had they had a decent turnover number but not like the Gators turned yeah. it over more than they want it wasn't like horrible except for one of the craziest storylines of the year of of Walter Clayton playing incredible basketball and 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 scoring. Um, really productively, but being good for like one egregious pick six every single game is like a crazy <laughs> just thing. Like again, Walter Clayton has been so good offensively that you you almost just like, well, like, hey, I guess if he's going to score 20 when the Gators can't get anything else going offensively, he can throw a pick six every game and whatever. He's, there's, he's like the, the Jameis, prime Jameis Winston. But uh, mm-hmm. um, it's like, yeah, it's I, I, I just – was so floored by that offensive and offensive rebounding number. And um, so even again, like if the book could be, okay, we'll keep the Gators off the glass. Well, the book might be like, well, they might get 26 offensive rebounds and still get blown out. Like that, yeah, that, yeah. that I think is a, I mean, again, I still think every team should try to, but um, yeah, it's, it's, it's almost one of those things that I do wonder. And I, I talk about this all the time um, when it comes to starting lineups or, or really closing lineups mostly is like, I, I certainly understand roles and, and, and wanting particular styles of players on the court. I I, I do think a lot of times in basketball um, you, you want to just get your best five guys on the floor 
and 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 see what happens and figure it out. And I know it's hard to say right now because it was another rough Will Richard game. Riley Kugel is also not playing very well. Right. Struggling to get on the floor. In fact, one one could say. <laughs> um, but I just wonder if at at some point the Gators need to start saying, "Hey, we need to get Walter Clayton and Zion pull in in the backcourt because they've been tremendous scoring the ball." Um, Riley Kugel and and Will Richard at the three and four, and Tyree Samuel at the five, and and see what happens. And are we going to get twenty six offensive rebounds? No, but um, we, we just got to do 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 something else and become a little bit better on the perimeter. And and again, I think that. Um, we kind of had this with Mike White as as well, where there was a time where, like, again, you saw like Jalen Hudson and like Kayvon Allen teams, or, or that's Kayvon Allen was a good defender, yeah. but like Florida played really small, and Mike White got them to be like top twenty, top fifteen defenses, and you're like, wow, right. like they don't have that many good defensive players, and like they still found a way. Last year, the Gators had Kyle Lofton and and, and Myron Jones and Jason Jatobo, and they played undersized. And for the last, you know, two months of the season, the Gators were like a top 10 defensive team. And we were like, oh man, like maybe Golden is, can just get anyone to defend. Like maybe, maybe anyone, no matter on this team is going to be a top 15, top 20 level defense because Uh, he's a good defensive coach. The numbers say he is. So it's time to figure it out. Yeah. That's, that's, that's just the one thing is like, well, like maybe the Gator, like, and, and we thought, oh, wow, they're, they're, they're undersized and unathletic. There's no way this lineup, like this is last year. Last year, we were like, wow, the Gators are so undersized, so unathletic. No way they're going to be able to guard at a good level. They guarded at a good level. Now they've got two bigs on the floor and bigger some some bigger guards, and they can't defend. So there's almost maybe part of me if if that, that thinks, hey, maybe the Gators do need to go small. And because, hey, they had success with it last year with still less athletic guards. So maybe that's something they, they need to consider going back to. Yeah. No, I think that's a great point. Um... And I, it's a good, almost a good segue into the, the Arkansas thing, um, because I think, you know, there is that theory that you have to flush like three games a year, like one that you'll, you'll play amazing, uh, and maybe you won't miss, one where the other team plays amazing and like they won't miss, and then one where you play terrible and somebody just beats you. Like I don't know if Florida, which one of the last two this one was for Florida, mm. but. They clearly have to flush it pretty quick. I will say to your rebounding point, like Florida's had four games this year. Um, I just held up five fingers. I'm, it's Friday, y'all. Uh, Florida's had four games this year where they've had a 50% um, rebounding rate or better, and they're two and two in those games. And the wins were both 56% rebounding rates against Florida State and FAMU. Um, but the losses are like Virginia, where they got 50% of their misses and lost and then Ole Miss. So like, yeah, I mean, it's not, you know, their best offensive rebounding performances have yielded wins in two of four games. Um, that's, that's interesting to me, Eric. And at least they kept it close against Virginia, <laughs> you know, like that's <laughs> should have played overtime, but for hmm. some turnovers um, and probably because they're more talented than Virginia um, probably win in overtime. Oftentimes the more talented team does win in the overtime period. Uh, it's at least the way it is in college. <laughs> um, probably in the NBA too. Uh, probably just a universally okay statement to make there, but certainly a generalization. Look, I, I mentioned Arkansas. A lot of people have been talking about the slow start to which I will point out that, um, the most consistent thing about Arkansas in the Muss era has been slow starts. Like they lost four or five in January, 2021 made the elite eight. They lost five of their first seven conference games last year, made the Sweet 16. Um, you could look at that one of two ways. One, you could say, hey, if they hadn't lost four or five in 2021, they would have won their first conference championship in 30 seasons. Um, and I'm sure there are Arkansas people who probably right now are looking at it like that, like, oh, Muss is good, but he's not great. Uh, you could also look at it like, Hey, maybe this decline has already started because last year they were actually eight and ten in league play, and then they just kind of had a good matchup in the second round, and boom, Elite Eight or Sweet Sixteen, right? I don't know. Um, I don't know how you want to how you want to look at it, but I do think some of it is that must. Um, what's the word I'm looking for? You know how sometimes you you make your lineup smaller. 
I'm missing the word constricts. They just get more focused in what they do as the season goes on and they figure things out. Um, Now, the one thing I think this team lacks, and I think to some extent, at least, and maybe Eric will disagree with me a little bit, but I think I'm, I think I'm okay to write on this. The one thing they miss and Khalif battle can be that player like at times. Right. But I think the one thing that this team really misses is like a JD note who can just sort of shoot them out of a day where their offense isn't working. Um, now with Florida, maybe it'll be Traymond Mark on straight line drives, right? Maybe it'll be Devo Davis like it's been for every season since 2000, since this podcast started, because I'm sure he's in his eighth year at Arkansas. He's tormented us so much. Uh, maybe it'll be Devo Davis on straight line drives. Like, I don't know. Um, but that seems to be the player they've missed. And I know when they got L. Ellis from Louisville, they thought like he could be kind of that guy. And like he just hasn't made any shots and he has not adjusted to not being a ball dominant player and his minutes have decreased and decreased. Like he just can't function in space and pace when he doesn't have the ball a lot, Uh, which with Kenny Payne, he had the ball all the time. Um, So a little bit different in Arkansas team, but I still think fairly dangerous given what Chris Beard just showed on film against Florida. Yeah, I think that like the the one thing that just strikes me about this team is um, they don't have an NBA player or you know what I mean? Like they don't have one and done or, or two and done NBA talent. Yeah. Layden um, Blocker has been like not good. Yeah. Um, I, 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 I'm going to be honest. I don't think I've seen it. Like I remember when he committed and I don't know if I've seen a single minute that he's played because just, just when I've watched them, it's he's not playing it, really now. And um, yeah. And I, I, I do think like, I, you know, I, I think they're in, in terms of their transfers, like Tremont Mark is 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 tremendous. Um, he's gotten even better this year. He's knocking out shots. That's the Houston transfer. Like, yeah, big physical Houston downhill guard. Um, I think he's tremendous. And again, like he could certainly be an NBA guy in the same sense that like Ricky Council lot from last year could be an NBA guy. I, I just mean like you look at the, at recent years yeah. and it was like Nick Smith and and, and Jalen Williams and, and Trayvon Brazil like, was and, and Anthony Williams. Anthony Bat. Well Okay, so so here's uh, here's my Tray- Trayvon Brazil take. So like, I was someone who the first time I saw him at Missouri was like, this guy's an NBA player. Yeah. Um, not to say that he and you you know go back on the pot, but again, he was also like an eight point a game guy in the SEC. Not not to say that that means he's not going to be an NBA player, but he's he's he is more prospect than player. Then he comes right. in as a sophomore. He and unfortunately gets injured and has a season ended after like nine games. So he put up. Decent. He put up good numbers in those games. Not amazing numbers, but he put up good numbers. But like he got injured, you know, eight or nine games into the season. What does that functionally mean? It functionally means he only played non-conference play. So he had good games against some good opponents like San Diego State. But like, right. you, everyone was like, oh, like Arkansas is getting back this guy that's like a thirteen point per game guy, and he's you know he's can hit shots and he's six foot ten and and. Uh, so, so again, I believe he was first team all SEC um, preseason, pre, like going into the season, he was, he was on the, the first team and it's like, okay, but this is a guy who's, you know, scored like seven or eight points per game in the SEC as a freshman, which is good Then he didn't play. Then, then he put up like 12 points a game in non-conference play for, for Arkansas in his second year. And now he's of course starting and playing big minutes. I think he's a, a really good player and he'll right. like, he'll get a chance in, in the, the NBA. There's no question just based off physical gifts, but like, I, I just think like, and I was someone, believe me, I was someone who was like, this guy is incredibly underrated. The moment I saw him first step on the floor as a freshman, I think things went, and this happens with a lot of players. They go from being on every, when everyone is like, Oh, this guy's underrated. He very quickly becomes overrated. I do think that's yeah. the case for Brazil. Who's a very good player. And I got to say this because I don't want to get like clipped after this game. He is also the perfect player to take advantage of the Gators because he is someone who can handle the ball and drive. And if whether he's playing the four or the five against the Gators, he is going to have a favorable matchup on the perimeter. He is yeah. going to try to drive Florida. So he also could easily score 20 points on the Gators. So I just, I don't need anyone saying like, well, Eric said he was overrated. No, I think he's, I think he's a really good player, but Arkansas was picked third in the country or sorry, not third in the country, third in the SEC in the preseason poll. Um, I forget. I think they were, they were still fairly high. I think they're in the AP poll to start. And Yeah, they were number you know, 12. Yeah, number 12. And I think a large part of it was people are like, oh, watch for Trayvon Brazil. He's going to explode. He's a really good player. I don't, he's, 
you know, there's a reason that our he's he's not the reason, but like I think people thought they were the 12th best team in the country. Right now, they're outside the NCAA tournament picture, and I think a lot of it is because you know Devo Davis is is a good player. He's not a great player. He's a really good defender who doesn't bring a whole lot offensively. Trayvon Brazil's a really good player, can take advantage of mismatches. He's not an incredible player yet. He's struggled with injuries his whole career and hasn't been able to get that rhythm. That's a guy who could be, by the end of the season, an incredible player. But but right now, I think he's just a really good player, probably because he's missed huge parts of two seasons with injuries. Um, do they, you know, they don't have that typical monster on the inside who's been in hugely productive. So yeah, I just think this is this is another one of those teams where if I showed you just their box score stats, like if I just like, and you, you didn't know their record, you didn't watch um, like you didn't watch a single game. You would be like, Oh, look at Trayvon Mark. He's scoring 17 points per game. And he, it looks like he's playing really good. Oh, and he's someone who always struggled to shoot the three. And now he's shooting 39%. Like that, you know, that is tremendous. And uh, then you would look down the lineup and you'd be like, oh, Khalif Battle, like that looks like he worked out. He's scoring 13 points a game. Like, oh, that's good. Yeah. Oh, look at, you know, Trayvon Brazil. Like, oh, he's a little down at 10 points per game, but he's 10 points and seven rebounds a game and shooting 39%. Like you'd look at all their numbers and be like, I think things are probably working out. Um, but then they just they just cannot defend whatsoever. And yeah. um, you, you, mentioned L, you, you mentioned L. You mentioned L. Ellis earlier. I, again, I, I feel bad. I, labeling some guys as like losing players. I, I loved Al Ellis in junior college. He was someone who actually reached out to me on Twitter when he was at junior college once and like asked me some, 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 for some, some things on basketball scheme. I, I, I love the guy. He was unfortunately on one of the worst high major basketball teams of all time at Louisville. Yep. And I think he probably should have ended up when he hit the portal somewhere different than Arkansas. I, I still think he's a high major talent. I mean, he went to Louisville when Louisville was not a disaster out of junior college. So that tells you something for a junior college player to go to what should have been a good Louisville team that says something. So he's a high major talent, maybe not the, the fit at, at, at Louisville or sorry at Arkansas. So that hasn't worked out. So again, I, I, I just like, I see a lot of, again, players that have been okay, but for some reason it just seems like they are not as the, the, the whole is worth less than the sum of their parts. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. And, you know, and you mentioned defense. That's where I was going to start. Like Anthony Black, all SEC defensive team. They miss him terribly. They're glue guy. Uh, Ricky Council, just because of his, like, length, I think. Um, obviously a guy that they they really miss. And then, yeah, their front court does not frighten you. Like Makai Mitchell, look, I love – that speed of kids I love. Like, I love Makai Mitchell as a, as a, as a human – like I'm mean, a wonderful person, guy that's got Rhodes Scholar finalist. Um, you know, like does everything that you could possibly want off the court. Is unselfish on the court. I think he's a really good interior passer for a big. Um, but I mean, like if there's a matchup for Ty Samuel and and Condon that they can kind of a guy that they can handle, um, that's not going to jump out of his shoes like he and Soul Miss. It's it's Makai Mitchell and. Jalen Graham is another guy who's just sort of a big kind of plotting big who's been okay. Uh, his minutes have gone down and down as Musk tries to figure out like what actually is going to work rotation wise. And that's the big thing is like Musk is already paring down his rotation. I mean, so I think Florida, again, we've said this at least against Kentucky. We said Florida had a front court advantage. We said Florida would eat against Ole Miss on the glass. They ate on the glass. Um, so I think Florida has a front court advantage. Um, now Micah Hanlockton probably fits in more with the uh, Arkansas bigs and that like he's got one thing he does really well. And then everything else is kind of either a work in progress or he's very limited. But, you know, to me, this game is just about like Khalif battle and, and Traymond Mark uh, and how, and, and Devo Davis too. And like one, like, uh, does Traymond Mark bother Florida's guards who have been so good because he's such a great perimeter defender? And then two, like Florida just stopping these straight line drives that like have not that's been a problem uh, throughout the season. And it could just be a game where they find a weakness with Florida or a mismatch, whether it's the four or whether it's Walter Clayton who's had some tough ones defensively lately, and they just attack Eric. Yeah, that's that that's gotta be the concern. And again, that's like the, the root of some of our jokes about the Arkansas offense throughout the years. And you could also say the um the 
predating Arkansas, going back to the Nevada game that the Gators played against us um, in the NCAA tournament, where um, Florida was the lower seed, and we were certain that Florida was was going to win because Florida was good at the time at guarding isolations and guarding drives, and all Nevada did was 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 try to pick on matchups at the two and the three where the Gators were, were strong, yep. and you know the F- Florida won that game pretty decisively and played really good. So um, that's always been just the kind of the, the, the joke is that there's, there's not much deception to Arkansas. There's not much creativity, but it doesn't matter because they have great athletes and they know exactly what they're doing. And, and when you play that style of basketball um, it's, it's sounding like we're saying all these like negative things and, you know, we do joke about it, but it's like, well, if you have great players who understand exactly what they're doing, that's the beauty of, of that offense is that you're, it doesn't matter if the defense knows what's coming. Totally it's really hard to defend. So that's got to be, I think, the major concern for for Florida, is is like, hey, they could come in prepared and know exactly what's coming and and still get get scored on a ton. So um, I I think that's like we have not seen Florida tinker with lineups much, um, especially the starting lineup. Um, I'm not, you know, do do I want to see a starting lineup change? I I I don't even know right now, but like. At some point, it's just I, I just wonder if, if it's got to be a personnel thing that, that makes Florida a little bit more difficult to just drive on. And you're seeing, obviously, like like Golden is a defensive guy through and through. He could not be happy with the product. He was not happy at all last year to start the season. And, uh, you know, there were some some changes. So I just wonder if at some point Golden is like, hey, I know we really thought our identity was going to be putting out these, these big guys and, and crashing the offensive glass. But at some point we need to guard someone on the perimeter. And uh, yeah, so I, I, maybe it's going to take another one of these Ole Miss type games. So that's happened, but um, hopefully it doesn't. And the Gators kind of figure something out and, and end up just like jumping in the gaps a little bit more. Arkansas shoots pretty good percentage from three, but they don't shoot many threes. That's also just like going back to the, the problems with this, this Arkansas team is uh, just the fact that, like, again, you can look at their percentage and be like, oh, it's it's okay, it's still below average, but it's like not not horrible. Um, the 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 best are like, actually, I was looking like last year they were also poor from three point line, but uh, you know, there's usually a guy that they usually had like one volume three point guy that could get hot and and uh, kind of bail bail them out that way. And like last year was like Ricky Council who shot like 27% from three, but he would just like go 0 for eight some games and then hit a whole bunch of the other games. So like, I, I just don't feel like they have that kind of shooting punch. So this would be a game where the Gators can be like, well, we are awfully concerned with our ability to guard on the perimeter. Um, but there's not a lot of guys on Arkansas that, that are particularly scary from behind the arc. Maybe Florida sits a little bit higher in the gaps um, sits in the gaps a little bit more. And, you know, I, you know, Trayvon Brazil shooting good percentage, low attempts, Trevor Mark shooting a pretty good percentage, low, low attempts, Khalif battle shooting good percentage, not a lot of attempts. So like, yeah, like there's a, there's a couple of guys that will take the wide open ones. Maybe you say, okay, we're just going to give up. We're going to give up some threes and, and see what happens. And, and I would be for that. If, if the Gators end up giving like, like if this is a game where the Gators end up giving up 25 or 33s, which would be <laughs> again, Florida's defense is all about taking away the three-point line. So I don't actually expect this to happen. But if Florida did give up a ton of threes, it would not be something I think we should criticize them for. I think at some point Florida might have to change their philosophy as well from being like, okay, we're a team that protects the three-point line and challenges teams to finish inside. Well, right now teams are getting everything they want on the inside. They, they Florida's shot blocking is not what Florida thought it was going to be. Um, they're – kind of individual like bulk on the inside not particularly there florida's guards not as good as 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 we thought maybe keeping guys in front right. of them like i i think it, this this might be a time for a little bit of a philosophy change especially with the sec with where there's still so many teams in the league that that struggle to shoot much like last year where um and i think that that kind of like worked worked to florida's favor last year where they could play these more conservative defenses and um because teams just like didn't even want to to you know, shoot a pick and pop three against their drop defense, and and it like worked. Like, um, yeah, I just I just wonder if like maybe it's the time to, to challenge teams to to make some semi contested ones because uh, what what will kill you 100 percent of the time is giving up as much as the, at the rim as, as Florida did against Ole Miss. So one thing that's interested me is the way that Bruce Pearl and Mike White have approached because we talked about you know coaches have blueprints and plans and 
Bruce Pearl is going to do everything the way that he wants defensively pretty much against anybody, but their ball pressure slowed down a lot of these actions to get downhill. Um, Mike White approached it somewhat differently, but found a way to slow them down too. They played one, three, one on 17% of their Mm. possessions. Um, And then jump and show against pin downs um, just to kind of make them think, I think. Um, And then obviously Mike with his hedges um, really slowed down some of the stuff that they do. I'd love to see Florida hedge a little bit with their personnel, um, which God, if, if you want to record the date and time that you listen to this podcast and, Neil Blackman just said he wants to hear, wants to see someone hedge. Um, go ahead and do so. But like, I do think slowing Arkansas down so to making it harder for them to get into their offense is a pretty good idea. Um, the way that Florida has struggled against uh, dribble penetration and then sitting in the gaps is obviously something that Georgia does very well. Now, I don't know if Florida has like, you know, I, I look, um, what I'll say about that is that RJ Melendez right now looks like kind of all SEC defensive player. Um, and right now Florida doesn't really have that in a guard. Um, but, you know, when they were able to get Traymond Mark on Silas Demery, who's been really good for the Bulldogs, Traymond eight, because um, it was kind of like veteran savvy guard versus 18 year old top 50 prospect. Florida doesn't have any top 50 freshmen that they're going to put out there. So, um, you know, it'd be good if Florida did some things to slow them down and, and minimize the ability of Tremont to attack mismatches by making it harder for them to initiate their offense. I, I actually, it's funny you mentioned the hedge because that's something that um, uh, I also was thinking at Soul Miss um, because, and again, for, for people that might be newer listeners, um, yeah, Mike White played um, a style of kind of like flat hedging uh, pick and roll defense that was like right. not super aggressive, but also not conservative. And it's just like one of those things where it's like, uh, in in my opinion, that style of defense just puts you in, in, in no man's land. So I do think it's important to note that like, like to see a little bit more aggressive head. Like when we say hedging, we're not talking the like Mike White defense where teams would just yeah. hit corner skip after corner skip after corner skip after yep, corner skip and, and the Gators just rain or got corner threes wide open, rain down on them for many years. Um, a, a more aggressive head and, and one that like hedges, but still allows ball handlers to get to the middle of the floor, whatever. Like that is not, I, I, I maintain that that is not a good way to guard pick and rolls. Um, yep. but there's times where like, again, and, and you mentioned Denzel Aberdeen a few times, um, early in the podcast, I actually thought he played a pretty good game against Ole Miss. I yeah. thought he actually defended really well. I thought he did really well in Florida's drop and ice pick and roll coverages. He also got scored on like every single, sorry, the team <laughs> got scored on like every single time he was put in a ball screen. Yeah. I thought, I thought he played the scheme really well. I thought Ole Miss knew exactly what to do against that scheme and scored. So, and I think that's, that those are the times when you need to be, you need to be able to have something different where Denzel Aberdeen and, and Alex Condon and pick and roll defense can, can, can play it perfectly. And Ole Miss is still at a thousand point two, three points per possession um, in the second half. And I think it would have been great when, Ooh. again, everything was about their, everything was about their, uh, their guards getting downhill. And um, it's just like, like, it's one of those things that like, it's one of those things like, like talk about like a dominated strategy in, in, in game theory. Well, Ole Miss was, was happy that Florida was playing drop. They were happy that Florida was icing. And uh, if, if your opponent is just like, like if the, if your opponent is going back to the same things every time, even taking away scoring, it's clear that they were extremely comfortable playing against that. And I just like, would have liked to see something Florida do something more disruptive. Um, just so there's no, you know, revisionist history here. I, I, I really like, like if, if I could only play one D like if I was at pretty much any level of college, you know, at any, at any level of college basketball, if someone said you had to play only one pick and roll defense, um, I, I would say drop like that is, yeah. so I am not agree if you had to, which you, you obviously don't have to, but so, so to be clear, Florida using that as their base defense, um, I am not, um, yeah, that, that's not an issue to me. I think they could play it a little bit better, but fundamentally I don't mind that they're, they're playing that, but yeah. like, yeah, but like at the same time, Florida only drops in the middle third and there's teams that are figuring it out and if Florida doesn't play it perfectly. Um, Ole Miss going to keep scoring. Um, 
I have also just made my thoughts known about ice. I do think we as a society have advanced past the need for icing side ball screens. They are too easy to beat. <laughs> any team with any offensive acumen loves playing against ice. Believe me, we love it. And uh, yeah. so, um, yeah, I, I, just, I, I do think I, the ice could, could go, and I'd like to see Florida do something different. Um, again, I think that, you know, you look at Europe, they're always well. They're ahead of the NBA. The NBA is ahead of, of college. Um, in Europe, no one ices anymore. It's been everyone's figured out how to beat it. Um, there's far more aggressive um, ball screen coverages in, in, in the outside thirds. Um, the NBA, it's starting to, to have really gone again. Like the NBA is like again, like Tom Thibodeau was was icing ball screens in the Bush administration. Everyone started <laughs> icing it, icing the ball screens. They went away from it. It came back, and a couple teams started to do it. And now it's already gone again. And like in college, it's still like the ice usage is on an upward trajectory. And uh, yeah, I just think that's it's too easy to beat. So I, I I would I will say I would love the Gators to do something different on side ball screens. Um, but uh, that that that's the one area where I do think like no, I do think ice might be inherently not a good way to guard ball screens in 2024. But um, yeah, I don't mind the drop. But there's going to be times where I think Florida needs to look and say like, hey, who's going to beat us here, Matthew Morell or Musa Cisse on the roll? Um, it's probably going to be Matthew Morrell and was Matthew Morrell. I would just love to see some, some more, um, get, get a hard hedge, move those guards going towards the middle of the field or the court, send them back towards the midline and, and, uh, and then force, like force them to make ball rotations that end in the worst players hands. I'm trying to make a play. So, um, it's something to monitor. I mean, again, um, golden did, did, uh, did both at San Francisco, was largely a drop team, but they actually mixed in some some hard hedging. So um, they did it fairly well. I believe it was in the NCAA tournament. I might be wrong. Yeah. I remember one of their late big games of the year. They they hedged and hedged really yeah. well. Yeah, it was against Murray um, State. Yeah, that's what I thought. And again, electric guards, not as good front court players. Um, no, Florida has to do something to to slow them down. I mean, that's the main thing. I think I do think you have to disrupt their ability to get into their downhill attack the basket actions. I, mean, I think there's a reason Mike is four and two against Mus, mm. right? And I think part of it is that whether it's that 13 zone that you and I made fun of for a couple of years, but actually sometimes it works okay. Um, just to slow teams down, it's not going to do anything other than that. Um, you know, or I did like their pin down defense. Um, Florida did some of that against Kentucky. Um, you know, I thought now that's, once they're already in their action, of course, but like, look, I mean, you have to make it harder for them to get into what they want to do. And if you're not going to pressure the ball, which is what Auburn does and Florida has not done that this year, really. Um, then, you know, you got to figure out a different way. Yeah. And I don't think Florida really has that, that personnel to, to pressure the ball that no. way. Like maybe Walter Clayton gets to that point, but like Zion Pull and big, thick physical guard, like he's just not going to be not, that's not going to be something he's able to do. And, and again, I, I I do. We did notice that you know Zion Pullen is is has gotten a lot a lot bigger um, this year. Florida um, did it has it hurt his agility a little bit um, guarding on the perimeter? Like maybe um, it's not like Brandon McKissick levels, but like it's just like it's just like hey, with everything in, in all sports, like if you're going to take something in one area, you're going to lose something in another area. And Zion Pullins, um, I think is like gotten a little bit bigger and it's made him a massive force on the offensive end. And uh, which in a lot of ways is where the Gators have, have really needed him. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's one of those things where he looks a little bit, his, his feet are a little bit heavy on closeouts. Um, I think guarding the ball, he was okay. When he had to close out, I thought that's where um, Zion Pullins started to look um, a little bit, uh, a little bit uncomfortable. And, and again, it's just one of those things where like early in the season, we talked, I, there was a lot of conversation about like, Oh, this guy's a good athlete and this guy can guard and this guy can defend. And like, I don't think anyone was like, well, this guy's going to be a necessarily a poor defender. I said one of Florida's front court players and would maybe stand by that. Um, but uh, like, it's not like Florida's loaded with poor defensive players yet here they are. So like maybe some of these guys aren't as good of, of defenders as their reputation. Yeah would suggest like at some point, like again, and it's when you see like, again, I, I feel bad Myron Jones catching strays, but like Myron Jones was playing at a high defensive level for, for Todd Golden last year. <laughs> like right, Jason Jatobo had to play good minutes and Florida still was putting up defensive. Like totally. maybe Golden's defensive performance last year was like truly legendary. Um, 
and and that's you know probably was underrated a little bit for that defensive performance and um but now it seems like maybe a lot of Florida's individual defenders are overrated and uh Golden who once you know got water from the stone of of Myron Jones and Jason Jatobo <laughs> guarding um will now need to do it with some at least better better athletes and they got to figure it out that's all I know can't lose this game especially with Tennessee lurking and that I said as you were joining um you know two SEC teams in the last decade with 0 and 3 starts have made the NCAA tournament so uh and that's just just the league's gotten better and if you start 0 and 3 the road back to 10 wins involves like winning 10 of your final 15 um which you know do the math especially when game force in Knoxville uh it, you know not awesome so uh we will see I'll let Eric sign us off Go Gators and keep attacking closeouts.